So uh, uh, Adam Coffey here from, well, I'm an interim CEO of Cattle Australia, um, passionate grass-fed cattle producer from uh, up, oh, a couple of hours south of Rockhampton in Queensland, and uh, welcome to the Ag Watchers podcast. Is that right? That's, yeah. that's perfect. That was, very, that was very good, given we just sprung it on you. Yeah. That was very good. Yeah. I do, very relaxed. I, I do think, though, that people don't realise how hard it is to do an introduction for someone else. So it's, much, it's, it's just much easier to do your own introduction than us say... This is Adam from up north. He's gonna. He likes cattle. He just doesn't come across right. It's so, a bit lazy. Let's be honest. A bit lazy on your part. But anyway, like I said, I'm no, no, like one it, of your podcasts. It, so I had no context here. It's it's cre- it's not lazy. It's creative. Yeah, that's it. It's just tr- trying to differentiate ourselves amongst all the other podcasts. Well, that are out there, if, you, if you if you think about this podcast, yeah, there is quite a lot of lazy elements. You know, you know, like, you well, no, ed- no editing, no editing, no, no intro, no yeah, preparation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like half the guests say, "What we're we going to talk about?" Mm, I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll find something. Yeah. Very easy, suits me. So, right, oh Adam, good to get you on. Um, it's been a, about a year since Carol Australia set up, give or take. The AGM's coming up. Uh, so we thought we'd have a bit of a chin wag with you, but we've got to get into the sixth sense first. Mm-hmm. We've got to make sure that, you know, you're the interim CEO, uh, but I don't know if you did psychometric testing as part of that that process, but you will today. And so we, we as qualified psychologists from the University of uh, ACME, um, we, we're here to give you your assessment. <laughs> and so... I will, we will give you a word or a phrase, and you just give us the first thing that comes to mind. Okay, this this won't be weird at all. Far away. It will not be weird. Well, it probably will. <laughs> I'll right, kick Matt. it off. Farmer representation. Advocacy. Black pudding. Oh, I, I'm not on board. Okay. Yeah, uh, I know. I know. One, one failure. <laughs> I know. I know you're a bit. Um, I know you're a bit musical there with Jack singing and yourself playing guitar. So I'm going to ask you your favourite band. I'm. I'm going to say Tool. Oh right. Okay. Is that Tool? Tool. I didn't know you liked Matt's music. I have a large and varied um, musical taste from uh, for, yeah across all spectrums. So. Okay. I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't expecting tool. Given the acoustic guitar playing, I was expecting something. A I'm more. a drummer. I was a drummer okay. by trade. Okay, really. Yeah. So that, that's what I, I call. I, but... come, come on, Matt. You're tangent. We go, keep, keep professional, please, Matthew. <laughs> All right. Uh, biggest risk to agriculture. Emissions. Did you say emissions? I did. Yep. Okay. What about um, this? Might be a little bit in that in that realm. What about um, the bushfire season? You want one word? Mm. Or you can or, give us a short short, short, short sentence. Uh, uh, chaos. All right, I'm going to say chaotic in terms of how we're managing them. Yeah, that's what I was kind of getting at. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Biggest opportunity for agriculture. The telling the complexities of our stories, and I hate that telling your story thing. It, it doesn't gel with me, but um, it's complex. It's very complex what we do. So uh, that is our biggest challenge and our biggest opportunity. Lots to lots to go through here. Did I you, reckon you got one left, Matt? No, that's it, isn't that six? Six. You keeping a count? Yeah, yeah I lost sure. count. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure it's, that's six. It's, it's hard being sort of agricultural analysts and economists that can't count to six. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a challenge, but we've managed to make it work somehow. We, we should probably get like a timer. So, anyway, Matt, on you go. Yeah, and no, I was just going to say, so that was, a, that was a good kind of mix of stuff. I wasn't expecting Tool, but then when you said you're a drummer, then it started to make a bit more sense. Who, who, right. who, were, who were Tool? Exactly. Like a heavy, heavy, heavy metal kind of band, pretty. You know. 60s, 70s? No, 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 no. They'd be oh. 90s. They were 90s, weren't they? Uh, yeah, yeah, around then. I don't know if they're still yeah. cracking or not. Anyway, yeah. American? Yeah. Jeez, yeah. oh, come on. Come on, Adam. Like, you're supposed to be patriotic and choose ACDC or 
know, that's usually the one that people oh, go with. Oh, I'm sorry to disappoint again so early in the proceedings. It's fine. We'll let you off. We'll let you off. So drumming came before the guitar then? It did, mate. Yeah, I'm not a guitarist. I'm a, I'm a campfire guitarist. When people are fairly fairly full, they, they seem to appreciate what I do. But if everyone's sober, it usually doesn't go down too well. <laughs> so, and Mark, Mark, you play guitar. I do. I muck around, but I'm probably similar campfire kind of. I'm not. I'm not. You know, opening at the. Uh... And I'm and I'm clearly vocals. Yeah, <laughs> clearly. Let's, 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 let's get let's get the band together. Yeah, let's do it. No, no. I, I was a. We had a band in high school, and we kind of just. Um, I was a bit of a high school. I shouldn't say high school dropout. I, I didn't finish, but uh, we uh, we got together as a band, and we started writing our own stuff. And before you knew it, you know, had had cash gigs around the pubs in Hobart when we were sort of 16, 17 year olds. So we thought we were king. And uh, and school kind of went out the window then, so that that was the uh, that was the drumming part. <laughs> right. Oh, so, t- so tell tell us about Carol Australia. Like it's been around for a year. What is it? What is it? That's a pretty open ended question. You know. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. So where do I start? Um, and a lot of your listeners would be aware, I guess, of the the long, painful, drawn out restructure process that we had. I guess as a cattle industry in the grass fed cattle sector, um, and it went on for years. And I think. Happy to talk more about that. I think this is probably where we really lost a lot of producers, and they kind of disengaged from from this advocacy space. But um, what we have, I guess, what was spawned out of that restructure process was Cattle Australia, and, and we used to have we had the pre existing Cattle Council, and there was always a, a criticism, I suppose, or not always, but in recent times, a criticism around uh, Cattle Council being not truly representative of individual producers. So you sort of had to. You know, be organised or, or be be in with a, a state farming organisation um, to sit on the board, or be be in the working groups or consultative committees, and and there were really probably fairly few, I guess, genuine uh, independent representation um, spots for for producers in that model. So, uh, what we have now is a, a truly representative model. It's a democratic model. It's it's uh, a board of levy paying producers uh, elected by levy payers, um, and. We've run a lot of, I guess, processes this year that we haven't run before. Um, we had an old, we sort of, Cattle Council used to have what was called a policy advisory council. Um, we, we've morphed that into a into a regional consultative committee where for the first time we've actually got people elected from 15 different sub-regions around the country. So they're all, all okay. um, again, they're producers and they're elected by their fellow producers in those sub-regions. So is that, uh, is that that's kind that's... Of, is similar to like the Green Growers model with policy well, council? Tell- I'm not sure. You know, I don't know about the yeah. grain growers one, but we kind of, we kind of recognise, I suppose, what's been lacking, and I, you know, this might be common across agriculture is sort of better advocacy from producers and how do we harness, you know, what people see as, as the opportunities and the threats with everything that we're faced. How do we sort of harness producers' will and 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 um, you know, get it together in a bit more of a cohesive manner? So it's not just a, a policy chinwag. You know, policy is obviously a big part of what the organisation does, but we want this regional consultative committee to be, um, you know, the, the real conduit backwards and forwards to one, to all these 15 sub-regions throughout the country. Uh, and, and the other part is we've still got state farming organisation representation at that level. So we have eight um, SFO seats at the table, eight, eight out of the 23, but it's going to be about advocacy. It's going to be about strategy. Uh, we want it to help guide the organization really the you know we, we call it the engine room of the organization so we're pretty excited about that we just we, we've just finished the election period and we're going to announce um the new represent representatives to that rcc uh at the end of the week so look forward to that uh, at the general meeting you, and you mentioned that it's democratic in terms of the board elections but also those representative groups around the country those positions are always are also democratically voted in um, do you have to be you have to be a producer to be on both of those, or can you be someone from the sector that maybe isn't necessarily a producer, like a like a you know academic or a market analyst or a... yeah, no, we don't. Or, or a, a po- podcaster, a, a, a psychoanalysis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we um, look. We do have an associate member provision for that because we didn't want to. You know, this is at its core. This is a producer organisation, mm. but we didn't want to exclude people from these processes who potentially have a lot to, you know, a lot of value to add, you know, like yourself. So uh, so there is that provision. But at the end of the day, you've still got to be voted up by producers. So yeah, they've got to want yeah. to be there. No chance, Matt, are you going to win a popularity contest? <laughs> no, probably not. No. no. That's no. Right. That's true, though. True. Uh, so, so, like, 
that's that's interesting. So like it's been around a year, give or take, yep. And successful so far, because you you've been yeah. a lot of a lot of challenges last year. When you think about it, last year we came off the back of the foot and mouth disease scare. We've had the lumpy skin disease issues. We've had the live export issues into Indonesia. Had falling prices. Jeez, a lot of lot of bad things actually. Incredible. Yeah, we haven't done too well, have we? No, no. <laughs> it's it has it's been a well, lumpy well, ride. It's not, not what you guys have done, but like it, that's just things that have happened and unfortunate at the same time. But has Cattle Australia been a success so far? Or sure, um, and you're dead right. The market sort of situation at the moment, with everything going on around the edges, is a, a really hard position. Uh, and we had a you know we had a meeting with all our state farming organisation counterparts and and uh, some independent members a couple of weeks ago to you know talk about to get everyone together to talk about exactly what's going on. And, you know, the crux of that is I know as a producer that our sale catalysts right at this point in time are probably worth a quarter of what they were, you know, six, 12 months ago, which is, it's a, that's a hard business model to run, acknowledging that we had some very good years. So, yeah, it's 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 a very tough situation at the moment. Um, maybe that's maybe that's why people are engaging. I, I sort of hear that context of sort of advocacy organisations in the past where, you know, when things are really steaming and they're all hunky-dory and everyone's making a packet load of money that um, people don't really need to need to engage. Um, yeah. There aren't so many problems to solve. <laughs> um, but, yeah, look, it's, it's, been a, it's been a bit of a lumpy ride. Um, a strange sort of context, I suppose, when you effectively take over the keys to an existing organisation, albeit, as I've said, we have a very, very different organisation in terms of its nuts and bolts. But there was that sort of transactional type stuff. Where, where do these emails go? Who's answering yeah, that yeah, phone? Yeah. And, and then, um, you know, combined with a, a full st- strategic reset. So we spent a couple of days in Sydney uh, as a board and, and um, had a facilitated process there where we just took it all down to bare bones and, um, you know, th- threw out what sort of words we want in there. And it got a bit touchy-feely at times, but it was really actually a really powerful session to to just completely reset the business and we had, um, you know, reset the organisation. We have, uh, you know, out of that stem sort of 10-year goals, five-year goals, three-year, 12-month, 90-day, uh, you know, right right down to the nitty-gritty. So um, we've got a good – we've had a good reset where we're very comfortable with where we're headed. Um, as you're aware, I've taken on this interim CEO. So I'm a director on the board, um, one of, one of um, six – sorry, seven um, rep- representation on the board and uh, – also took on this interim CEO role for a couple of months, and um, that's been a bit of a learning curve for me. It's, um, it's uh, certainly been a little hectic trying to do that and, and keep the home fires burning. Well, that's not a very good term to use, given the bush. Not, not good. No, 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 no. No, no. What's home the um, what's the because you have appointed a, an actual CEO now, right? So I saw that come out. Was it last week or the week before? Who was that um, again? Yeah. It was. What's his face? Uh, Dr. Chris Parker. That's Chris right. Parker. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So when does he when does he formally take over the reins? Is that the AGM or? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. He, he starts uh, this Wednesday and then uh, I'll clock off on Friday. And look, I'm sure we'll have a lot more handover in between now and then and, and going forward. But yeah, Chris starts Chris starts this week. So we're, we're pretty excited to have him on board. And, and I, I think selfishly, it's probably a bit of a reflection of the organisation and where we're taking it in a short time that we're able to, you know, attract people like Chris's calibre to, to lead it. So we're, we're pretty excited about where that's headed. Given some of the, the the risks that Andrew alluded to before around lumpy skin and foot and mouth and that some of those issues of last year and having yeah. someone like Chris, Dr. Chris, Chris, Chris Parker, Chris, Chris has got a pretty big, like he's I, got I, a good good handle on that, right? Because because I presented alongside him last yeah. year in double, and a switched on guy. Yeah, mm. so, yeah. Yep. If 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 Chris doesn't know his way around, um, you know the, the halls of power and how to how to which doors to knock on and when, then nobody will. So yeah, he's definitely across those processes. And what, so, um, so Cattle Australia, like, I always get a little bit confused with where everyone's, like, there's so many organisations, let's be honest, yeah? And Cattle Australia was one of the first ones to sort of almost amalgamate organisations together, didn't it? It had a few organisations. It wasn't just Cattle Council, was it? Uh, well, it was in recent years. Going back previously to that, there was the Cattlemen's Union. And um, look, I'm not, yeah, that's well yeah. before my time. But you guys are members of the NFF? Is that right? We are we are members of NFF. Yeah. Um, so that's I guess where we go to for you know if there are cross commodity issues. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, the structure that sits. So we we basically sit under the Red Meat Advisory Council, 
And it's important oh, to explain okay. some of this stuff to people because sometimes they, they really don't know what industry structure is and it's quite simple when you know it. But, uh, yeah, so we sit under RMAC and we sit there along with Sheep Producers Australia, we've got the goat guys, we've got AMIC, the processors, Alpha, the feedlotters. Yep. So we all, we all sit under, under RMAC as the peak bodies uh, and then our service provider is obviously uh, Meat Livestock Australia. So, so, so we have oversight of the levy expenditure that goes into MLA for um, marketing, research, development, um, priorities. But you're representing the grass-fed side of the cattle section and, and Alpha obviously representing the feedlotting grain finished. Correct, correct. And I guess as part of our sort of strategic reset, you know, we really recognise the fact that we are the biggest uh, agricultural commodity in the country. And I think that that is really, that was sort of the... Yeah, yeah, no, I, I believe we are. We'll have to fact check that one. If, if, like, like, I have to... Like, it's some, wheat, like, and, wheat some, and cattle, are, so, it depends so, on the harvest year, doesn't it? It's, depends it's, on it's, the year, it's, yeah. It's, 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 it's funny because somebody, I'm not going to say the name of them, but somebody who is in a very similar position to you in the grains industry asked me to fact check that once. How'd you go? <laughs> Look, it depends. Like, uh, yeah. as, as, it depends. Yeah, um, so get off my case. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so, <laughs> so, so you are right. Cattle as a single unit definitely is the biggest if you compare it against wheat. But if you start comparing against the holistic grains, it might not be quite so close. Yeah, but so isn't, anyway, that the, isn't that the same? The isn't well, that that's, same, that's why I'm an analyst. <laughs> isn't that the same as saying then cattle versus other livestock as well included? If you're going to have wheat, and well, include other grains, so we can include pigs if you, and if chickens. You, if, you could, if you include red meat, then yeah, absolutely. But anyway, yeah. I, I digress. Yeah, messy, yeah. So yeah. in terms of funding, yeah, so you guys are funded by SFOs, kick up something to you? Yeah, so we've got a they, – they actually have a much smaller membership now under under this structure, so there was a part of that restructure process was that SFOs basically all pay a flat fee, uh, and whereas before it was, a, um, a, what, I guess, Depends. a weighted fee. Um, so some of our northern counterparts with a lot more cattle would pay a lot more. Yep. And so, again, this was, I guess, in a bid to get it a truly national sort of process and, and nobody's got any more say at the table than anybody else. Um, the other part of our funding is through service level agreements with Meat and Livestock Australia. Yep. Uh, and they're specific, as I said, they're, they're, they're specific sort of part oh, of our right. charter in terms of, yeah, yeah, in terms of services we offer and, and, and that's negotiated uh, periodically. Um, we also get some funding from the Red Meat Industry uh, Fund through RMAC. And then um, the other funding I suppose we, we get and is evolving is through direct membership. And that's that's kind of a new a new piece, I suppose. Mm. Um, it, it's And that's where it gets really interesting. And I think in my opinion and, and my experience, I guess, in the last couple of months, being a producer in this interim role has been very interesting talking to fellow producers around the country about, okay, you know, how are we going to fund this? And, we're, you know, there's always that there is still criticism out there that the model we have is, is fundamentally flawed because we can't fund it properly. And uh, I, I'm finding that. So, so then we bring it back to our value proposition. What do we, what do, we do on behalf of producers? But um, my message to producers at the moment has been very much all funding options are on the table for this organisation moving forward. But what we actually need right now is for producers to um, to back it, to, to, to sign up, pay their membership, uh, and, and I, for which I don't see as being a significant cost. So, you know, Jack and I will pay our, our Ag Force membership, our state farming organisation membership every year. Yep. And, again, that's weighted to your cattle numbers, so we'll pay off the top of my head 1100 bucks to... to Ag Force and um, the way that we have a same the same sort of waiting subscription membership to Cattle Australia, which will be around a thousand bucks for us as well, uh, and I think it's capped at three thousand eight hundred and fifty for your really big producers. Plus, there's a there's a corporate rate as well with a slightly higher cost and a capped a capped vote. Um, I don't really see that as a big cost when you no. when you stack that against our sort of annual turnover and what we do relative to our business. You know, it's those those two memberships in themselves is a, a ton of lick. It's a pallet of lick blocks. So, um, how do we view? Like, I think it's a maturity thing for industry, and this is a discussion that I've had with producers from King Island to Broome. Is you know, what do you? How how much value do you place on a functioning advocacy body? Uh, are you the guy that sits in at the pub and, and complains about the you know the EU deforestation regs that's coming your way, but then isn't willing to kind of fork up a little bit of dough every year to to do it? And I mean, there there are twenty thousand odd specialist cattle producers in the country, forty thousand, fifty thousand with cattle. So. 
the beautiful thing would be is if every all of those producers chipped in a little bit, we'd have a huge war chest to, to do what we need to do. Which, um, which is kind of, you sort of start to look at things like the UK, uh, USA, their advocacy bodies, well-funded, been around for a long time, um, and people just pay it. I don't think there's as much reticence to pay it as there is in Australia. It, it's interesting because like I, I quite like this individual members model as well. The individual members or individual farmers can become members of the organization to specifically assist on cattle. Because that's one of the things that I found at the NFF conference a few weeks ago was bumping into a lot of farmers who had just come to the conference kind of almost from nosiness. To, pardon me. They said they didn't want to be part of a state farmer organization, but they wanted to see how advocacy was done and what the advocacy was doing. But this allows them to become a member of a specific thing, which is cattle, and aim the advocacy to the extent where they want. It's a bit like giving to charity. You can give it to a general charity or you can give it to a specific local charity. So I think it's, it's, it's a good yeah. model. Yeah, and well, I think there's, you know, there are strengths in cross-commodity representation. There always will be and there will always hmm. be a space for that. But people, you know, as a... People do what they do because they love it and they're passionate about it. And, and look, it's possibly more relevant in, in northern parts of Australia where we do have a lot of single commodity enterprises. But um, it's interesting in that, you know, every, as I say, everybody that I've spoken to, I'm yet to have one person come back and say, I'm not paying that or I don't think that's fair value. So when we actually communicate the model that we have, it would appear to me, and I'm an optimistic sort of fellow, but it would appear to me that it's actually not a very hard sell. Uh, if you couple that with actually, you know, getting a few runs on the board, Getting, getting out and about and making making um, a bit of noise on behalf of producers on critical issues. And then I guess, the, you know, the communications piece, that's why it's so important in terms of people knowing what we're doing. And I, I do feel as industry, that's where we failed a little bit in the past. Um, you know, we'd have an organisation that was very Can- Canberra-centric. Uh, they'd sit down there and pro- probably not really telling their, their constituents what was going on or why. And um, and, and maybe I'm, I'm, I'm rattling on a bit here, but uh-huh. I, I've... I've seen this sort of trend where uh, in, within industry in, historically where we don't want to have a discussion unless we fully nail down a position, unless we're fully uh, confident that we're going to win that war, um, unless we're fully appreciative of, you know, that there are no risks involved. And, and I don't think that's a healthy space to be in. And we've certainly, you okay. know, catalogs, we've certainly entered into quite a few discussions and had a few debates lately that, you know, um, you can still be very constructive, but you can come out and, and have a discussion and get genuine input from industry on that purely by the fact that you're having the discussion in a, well, in a more I, um, broad I think, sense. I think it's important because I think as a, there are, I, I was quite surprised when I moved to Australia and this is not a slight on Australians is the Australians are more risk averse than I ever imagined because my view was the Australians were these, you know, what's, what's that guy's name? The, Matt, the there's, guy, there's quite, there's quite few, a few Australians you're referring to, but the, I think the Oh, uh, David Byrne or Paul David Hogan, or that kind of larrikin Australian. Yes, you'd yeah, you're right, mate. That kind of attitude. Sure. Yeah. That's what I expected. I was expecting to be like a Wolf Creek or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> Wolf Creek. Wow. You know, you know, just just jack the lads having a bit of fun. But 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 I have found that Australians can have a tendency to be a bit more risk averse than I expected, and people want to wait until they've got a hundred percent right before they shoot the load effectively. So whereas, like, I think when you look. I think sometimes you can be 80% right and just go off it, even 50% right and go off it. Or, or 51%, I feel like. Or 51%. <laughs> right. You know, but but it's but it but it is that case of just getting stuff done or being seen to be getting stuff done. Is what we've, we, we've mentioned like advocacy has come up a few times in this conversation, right? And you, you kind of touched on it a bit before then, Adam, when you said you're rattling, but I wanted to just go back to it just to say, ask you firstly, what, what does it actually mean to you when you, when you talk about advocacy? What does it mean? And and does that align with, with like, do people have different views? And have you seen within Cattle Australia, there are different views around what advocacy is? And and are we doing, uh, as a sector, like, are we doing the best we can when it comes to representation like that for farmers? Mm. Um, I'm going to simplify it right down to when we bring people onto our place and, I guess, the context of our place is that we try and run it. We need some new terms. I don't like this regenerative term at all, and we don't classify ourselves as that, but perhaps there are elements of that in what we do. Um, but we are, we very much recognise, I guess, that, uh, 
you know, good ecological outcomes, um, outcomes that kind of, you know, are increasing the credentials of our nature positivity, et cetera, et cetera, go hand in hand with productivity. So the better our land, the better our environment, the more critters we've got kicking around, the more money we make. Um, and it's all about building resilience within our business. And it's been really interesting when you bring people on, uh, you know, we had, we've had some ecologists on, there was this biodiversity offset that we were looking at that kind of fell in our lap that we ultimately knocked on the head. But as part of that process, we had ecologists, you know, come, come from uh, up down in Sydney there and they spent 10 days here. And it's a really interesting experience. And I, saw, I remember when they got out of the car and, you know, the arms were crossed and, you know, typical redneck bloody farmers and, uh, and we got to know each other really well and we spent some time with them up in the mountains. We got some beautiful sort of rainforest country up the back and doing some transects and understanding what they do. And then we'd sort of talked a little bit more about what we do when we're driving around the place and we'd sit down for dinner and have a few wines. And it was just a, a real learning experience for me in the sense that we're, we can often view that we have people who have uh, a polar opposite opinion on what agriculture is or, or how we should produce our food. And yet when we kind of spend the time together, uh, and understand all the complexities of what we do, we get it. And, and and I can I could go on and on about the amount of people that we've had who've driven out the gate like that that came in the gate with very different views. So to me, that's advocacy. Hmm. Uh, how we how do we streamline that, and how do we get, you know, how do we do that in, in a national in a, in sense a, or a whole it, industry? It's um, interesting. It's interesting because I had a conversation. Like I'm, I'm a millennial, so a lot of my friends are bloody millennials and. Gen Zs or whatever they're called. And I had a discussion last week about how they didn't want to eat anything factory farming. And their views of factory farming were actually wider than I would consider to be factory farming. So mm -hmm. anything contained, a feedlot is factory farming. Anything that's not free, completely free range, anything in a paddock was factory farming. What? That's the young, folk, that, that's the young folks nowadays. And I, what, I so, so so you're just going and harvesting some wild creatures out in the bush somewhere, right? Eh? Well, so, like all, all that stuff up north is free range. Well, the pa the pastoral pastoral, pastoral stuff. Should be right. That was right. But it was interesting conversation. I I sort of just explained that. Well, if you actually look at things like pig farming, which Matt and I are experts in pig farming, um, it's less intensive on methane and carbon. Feedlots are pretty good on. Intensive because the more you produce scientifically efficiency, efficiency the less you emit. So sure. that's one conversation, and she'll probably eat more meat, I reckon. Um, but how exactly that's the thing how do you do it on a national basis with no money? Yeah, like, and, and I know you guys are, are getting membership and getting money, but the industry advocacy in general doesn't have the same type of money as Animals Australia, and that's yeah, that's gonna, that's gonna be the challenge. Yeah. But it's interesting where there are commonalities in. So I'm glad you spoke about emissions. Um, how long have we got here? Oh, we got yeah, yeah. Well, that's. I was going to come to that next because that was one of your. That was that, that was, was that was the next one. Yeah. That was the yeah. big challenge. The big challenge was emissions, right? Is what you said. Yeah. Oh, that's I'd forgotten about that. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you know, and you spoke about emissions intensity or efficiency, I guess, of, of different production systems and. Um, that's been a, a key area, I suppose, a bit of a Pandora's box that we've opened up for Cattle Australia. And I guess essentially we've challenged, you know, even some of our internal industry targets around, around emissions. Um, but it's interesting in this whole... So, so to take a step back, I suppose, we are really, as grass-fed producers, we're seeking recognition that, you know, what we do has a cyclical nature to it, right? Mm -hmm. So the whole premise of sticking a cow in a glass box, measuring what comes out of her, and then having to mitigate or... or um, or sequester all of those emissions kind of doesn't really wash with us because we look at it as a whole landscape perspective and we say, okay, well, ultimately, if we if we are uh, measuring those emissions as a one-way street, then potentially the, the, the big lever that gets pulled over time is to reduce livestock numbers. Um, in an Australian context, specifically with our extensive systems, if you pull livestock out of those systems, something takes its place in the sense of emissions. So if we don't eat the feed, uh, it'll rot, or as we're seeing uh, more and more, burn. more and more lately, and particularly with you know predictions of a hotter, drier climate, it'll burn. Uh, so then, very quickly, the discussion actually becomes probably more about nature positive biodiversity. You know what what happens when all of our conservation areas are continually going up in smoke, which is what we're seeing. So, but the important part, and I think we're kind of ahead of the data here. There's a lot of data coming out now around um, um, flux towers that they're measuring your emissions in and out of an actual production system in a paddock for every second of the day. 
And from what I've seen of some of that preliminary data is that, you know, just above the ground, our grass-fed production system is are cap capturing more uh, CO2 or CO2 equivalents on a daily basis than they're, than they're emitting. Um, and, you know, there, there are holes all over this argument. When, when I was sort of researching it, you find that in Australia, we, we pump out four to 500 million tonnes of, of anthropogenic emissions every year. Um, we also pump out three to 400 million tonnes of, of CO2 of, of uh, non-anthropogenic emissions that are referred to as a fast carbon cycle. So we, we know they're there. We measure them, bushfires mainly, uh, but we don't account for them. And there's no need to, I guess, offset them because they're cyclical, because guess what? Stuff burns and stuff regrows. Yeah, sure. So essentially... <clears throat> You know, grass-fed producers, that's the space that we, we really play in a lot. Uh, so it's sort of like, are we comparing apples with apples here? And, you know, is it really fair and equitable in the path that we're going down? And I guess to get back to your point about, you know, advocacy, you say, okay, well, we, we have this current desire from the, from the feds to uh, really focus on, on climate solutions. Uh, when we actually talk about, you know, the fact that we might not be the big problem that we're perceived to be, i.e. two-thirds of our agricultural emissions, and that maybe there is actually, there are modern science, climate science metrics that talk more about our warming effect in the atmosphere rather than just a quantum of emissions, and, and the space gets complicated very quickly. But this, this argument is backed by science, and people say, well, there's a lot of regulation, a lot of policy built on how we've done things for the last 35 years, um, but here's a, here's a unique opportunity for, for the grass-fed sector in Australia, for instance, and it is, the conversation is going on globally to kind of drive this conversation where we talk about uh, the potential warming effect of our emissions and what the effect of our emissions are in the atmosphere rather than just this supposed one-way street. Because I think, you know, if we continue to go down that road, we're headed for, for unintended consequences all over the place. And it's not just related to the cattle industry, it's related to our environment, it's, um, it's related to a whole a, a broad spectrum. So... It's a very interesting space. Just on, on emissions and carbon, like you mentioned biodiversity, which biodiversity markets are a new thing coming out. Carbon markets have been around for a little over a decade. Do you think these markets are ready for agriculture? Do you think they're mature? I guess I, it depends specifically what you're talking about. I mean, on our place, we have a soil carbon project underway under the ERF. Yeah. And uh, are we banking on it? No. Is it an area of curiosity? Yes. Do we want to know that we're increasing our organic matter and our and our soil organic carbon over time? Yep. What better way to do it than than to sort of have it against an ERF project? Yeah. yeah. Um. Because I actually I do believe that we're we're coming off you know degraded soils to to a certain extent, and I don't I speak specifically about where we are, but you know historic grazing sort of practices of set stocking and a bit of a bit of a slash and burn mentality have certainly been there in the past, and we can't argue that. Um, but we're certainly headed in a good direction as industry now, and um, I feel that uh, I feel that is a genuine offset if we can if we can capture carbon and build it up in our soils. And we've already seen results from around this CQ area of people that have done that through five yeah, years yeah. of flood, drought, fire. Um, so it's a bloody interesting space. I mean, it, Andrew a, a, Andrew calls me the greenie on this show, right? And it's partially true. I have got solar on the roof and I drive a hybrid car, or at least the missus drives a hybrid car. I've still got well, the old I'm, I'm looking at Tesla, <laughs> yeah, yeah. remember? I, I still got the, the, diesel, the diesel Hilux, uh, maybe not as green as what Andrew says, but I have got some green tendencies when it, when it comes to certain things. Um, but I, I did, and I was looking at a, a, a show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was looking at a show um a week or so back, and they were talking about methane emissions across the board. And I know, obviously, cattle is one globally that has the, um, you know, the reputation, I suppose, rightly or wrongly, of being one of the big methane emitters. I, I, I thought it was Parliament House. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah exactly. <laughs> we don't we don't talk about people in Parliament House because they call us dodgy. Oh, okay. I mean, we, don't, um, we don't talk about people in Parliament House because uh, they have parliamentary privilege, so they can talk about us. Uh, but we can't, we can't say we can't say because we get sued. Um, but getting back. <laughs> Getting back to the point on methane, I, I, I started looking. There's this show that was talking about all this um, gas uh, production and increases to fracking and, you know, different types of shale gas, you know, they're pulling stuff out there. And um, that's a methane emitter too, right, and a significant one at that. So I did a quick look, rudimentary look at some numbers around um, fossil fuel growth in production over the last 40, 40 years and the global cattle herd, how, big it, you know, how much more it's growing. And you'd expect then... <laughs> If you index if you if you index those things and, and looked at the growth in the cattle herd and the growth in methane, the cattle herd isn't keeping up with the growth in methane, right? So there are other things that are contributing, right? And it looks like the data shows that it's more to do with 
um, fossil fuel exploration, whether it's oil, gas or, or um, coal, that's contributing a significant amount to methane rather than the cattle side of the equation? Of course it is. Of course it is, Matt. And look, I, I think the worst thing that people throw at us in this argument is say, oh, your climate denies or you're not willing to do your bit. And that's not the case. The red meat industry in, in Australia has bloody led the way in terms of, you know, emissions mitigation, sequestration practices. But you know, like, here's one for you. Again, it's, it's, it's all about our land use, right? And what we do with it. And um, I think with all of these competing land uh, interests, certainly in developed countries, I can't see that our, our herd is going histori- to historically rise. But um Another little fact I found was that a, a 2015 University of Wollongong study that um, studied methane emissions from kangaroos, who they always thought didn't emit methane. Turns out they do. They don't have a rumen, but they have a foregut with, surprise, surprise, the same bugs in it that cow, cows have in their rumen and on a feed intake basis emit similar amounts of methane to cattle. So to me, again, you know, whether you talk about fast carbon cycles or native animals or that whole argument over you know, has the global herd increased, decreased, and we just changed the composition from sort of wild to domestic, uh, all we're doing is utilising biomass. So that, to me, is where that discussion really needs to lead. Um, and again, by penalising livestock producers as a, as a sort of a one-way street, when we see these sort of net zero target discussions that have come out of the feds in the last week, you just you just kind of can't help but think we're, that, we're off, off on the wrong tangent. But let's be honest, it's easy. It's very easy. Like, if, yeah. you, if you think you've got... Again, you've got all these organizations, you know, AFI says 150 advocacy organizations or something like that in Australia, with each of them probably not having a huge amount of resources, cash-wise. But then you look at the fossil fuel industry, plenty of money, like more money than we could even imagine. Did I mention the need for a strong peak um, advocacy body? I'm just just, just, just coming to that solution myself. Um, But, but, you know, uh, but it is is a case of, and that's the next point I had as well. I was going to mention this earlier, the free rider effect. That is huge in agriculture because I've heard, like, I've had people talk to me about, you know, there's obviously a few issues in the VFF at the moment. There's issues with various organizations around the country. And they speak about it on the phone, say, oh, it's bloody terrible, blah, blah. And I say, are you a member? And they say, no. I say, well, what the F do you think? <laughs> like, yeah. like, if, 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 like, we want you to do this, we want you to do that. But if you're not a member, you can't expect it. Yeah, that's right. And, then, you know, there are always going to be a component of free riders. How do we get around that? I don't know. And, and it should be important to note here that, you know, I know in Cattle Australia's sense, we we represent all grass-fed producers. Mm. We're the legislated body, right? So it's not just about representing our but, but you But you um, can't complain if Cattle Australia doesn't have the resources to... When um, you're not a member, uh, when you're not a member. <laughs> yeah. put, up, put up a billboard in Sydney or whatever, yeah? Can't complain right. if that doesn't happen. If... But I wonder, I wonder, again, that's where our argument goes back to, you know, how we fund this organisation in a in a longer term sense and do we look at a opt-out or an opt-in levy portion of the existing levy whatever i i think there's certainly something more there um but at the moment we just need you know under the framework we have and the model we have we just need producers to get on board and sign up for membership and and, and actually prove that it's backed and it's supported and then and then the sky's the limit as far as i'm concerned and you got an agm this week Got my gem this week down in, in presentations. Aubrey. I was going to go to it, but I saw the presentation list. And I thought they've, no, they've really... some to- there's some top <laughs> level there's some top level presenters going there, and 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 there's one there that was oh, geez, I think it on the nose. <laughs> I thought, I well, Matt, geez. you should talk about what you're doing at our industry forum in, in Aubrey on on Friday afternoon. Yeah, they'll be on one of on one of many um, you know good quality presenters adam that, that are there to talk and and I'll, I'll be covering off on some of that stuff i spoke about around the emissions as well and a broad picture of it's been volatile times like andrew said in the in the cattle market this year so i'll be talking about some of that price movements and how far we've come and you know looking at um different measures what's going on overseas you know what's the forecast into the next year so there's lots in mind that'll it'll be useful i think and then and then we roll into a bit of a producer panel which I'm moderating, but, but you've got you've got some people there that are that are carbon 
uh, experts as well f- further on into the into the program, I believe. Yeah, yeah, we've got um, yeah. So Brad Ridout from CSIRO, he's going to be talking about climate neutrality, and that's I guess based around what what we've been discussing, and some some data that uh, that the CSIRO have done on behalf of the industry. Uh, we've got going to have Nick Kemp from AgriMix talking about their flux towers, and, the, and the, as I said, the real time uh, emissions tracking. We've got AgriProve, Matthew Warnkin talking about right. this. You know, they're, they're one of the biggest sort of soil carbon um, aggregators in the country. Sebo um, Labs going to be there. Feed-based monitors, sustainability reporting should should be a really good show. Um, so we're hoping to get as many bums on seats as we can. No Scottish accents, sir. Well, no, he might be, he might be in the crowd. I'll be. You know, I'll be. I, I will. I'll asking be in the crowd, asking all asking questions. questions. <laughs> Looking forward to it. So no, that would be that would be good fun. I like to get out of the office every now and then. Um, yeah. So yeah, a year in. So. It's going to be oh NFF. That's what I was going to ask about. What's your what's your views on the what's it called, Matt? Keep farmers farming. Oh yeah, it's the new the new um, promotional thing they're doing there. The new kind of thing approach. Yeah. <laughs> new new approach. New approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and obviously it was there. I saw that launched um, in Canberra the other week. Um, like it's, I've heard commentary around. I don't know that I've really formed a view. I think, um, you know, there is definitely an element of farmers not feeling that they're being listened to. And I suppose, you know, you could use this this net zero target um, um, consultation that's come out just in the last week or so. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, I know, I know with Cattle Australia, we've been fairly well well involved with that. And, and we've, we're certainly putting forward our views that we need to be really careful when we there's, think about it. There's, there's not long yeah. for the submission process. Well, no, it seems, it's, a, it's guess, a complicated thing to have a submission in four weeks. And the point, my point is that if we have cons- consultation is all well and good when it's genuine consultation. If it's consultation just for the point of ticking a box. <laughs> just, yeah, just to, uh, just to, to window dress and say, we consulted, we consulted. And, and we're going to do what, we get, what we're going to do yeah. anyway. Then that's, yeah. um, that's when people start to get their backs up, right? Mm. So um, I think, you know, Cattle Australia is no different to, to the likes of NFF. We want to work. Um, in harmony as best we can with our with our um, government and our regulators, but there does come a point where we're also the experts in what we do. So we've got to be we've got to be genuinely listened to in, in these forums and and our opinions and our and I guess our insights, um, our ability to probably to look outside the box a bit. And you know, again, if we talk about the emissions space, to kind of find a bit of um, data and some R and D and some tech that's going on that might actually point in a in a different direction. That that's that's all got to become part of the conversation. And so when you're not listened to, uh, maybe that's maybe that's the result of um, of what the NFF are trying to do at the moment. Yeah. yeah. I, like I'm, I've, I've heard similar sort of, I've heard some people, you know, very pro it, some people very against it. And I think that's the same in everything in agriculture. There's always going Politics, to be right? detractors in it. And yeah. Murray Watt, what's your, he's two years in, Murray Watt, year and a half. Do you think he's in a good job, bad job? Neutral. Oh look, we, we get very good engagement with um with Minister Watt. Um, you know, I can pick up the phone anytime and have a yarn to him. Um, he's um is he he's come is he going to come to the no um, forum or is he a, like a pre-record or coming? Yeah, in? it's it's a pre-record, Matt. It's a sitting week, so we couldn't get him there, um, unfortunately. But yeah, look, Murray's. You know, I think he's been a, a good agricultural minister in the sense that he's you know he's engaged and he he certainly travels around and 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 gets out and about. Um, I guess the where we question is is where where the overall um, you know where where the overall directives come from and 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 uh, I suspect as I say particularly in this uh, mission space that it's um it's a much bigger piece than than agriculture and uh, yeah we, we worry a little bit about um about who 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 guides who on these topics and who who ultimately has the say and uh, yeah so that, that's a bit of a tricky situation. You mentioned earlier as well in our um in our sixth sense. Around that fire, we spoke about bushfire season, and you described it as being chaotic. And I think you're referring to not—I mean, you've, I know you've been out fighting fires just recently, right? Um, you're not referring to on the ground stuff in terms of the chaotic. I imagine you're talking about some of the, um, you know, the the um, policies that have been put in place over the years in terms of management of landscape. I imagine that you're describing as what's being problematic. Is it? Yeah, a little bit of both, Matt. I mean, my personal experience, I suppose, with, with fighting fires again this year has been no different to previous years and that there becomes a real breakdown of communication when an incident becomes of a certain size. 
Uh, and certainly in Queensland here, you know, we have QFES come in and set up an incident control centre and it basically all goes to shit. Um, there's no recognition, I guess, of, of local landholders and producers and their local knowledge, their skills in fighting these fires a long time, their knowledge of local landscapes and the fact that they actually have the most to lose. So they're very, very incentivised to control these fires. Um, you know, we, we had some some situations go very pear-shaped on us in, in the last couple of weeks where we're trying to do backburning that was by law, you know, well, against the law, given it was a fire ban. And, and anyone who's fought any fires knows that you backburn at night and then you then you patrol your break during the day. And, um, yeah, look, we had some, some, some pretty bad instances there. But I, I think the bigger context, you're right, is this land management piece. Um, you know, we... We talk so often about these huge fill loads that are sort of building up in some of our conservation areas, and we've seen instances again in the last few weeks in Queensland where some of these big detrimental, uncontrollable fires are coming out of national parks and state forests that don't have their biomass managed. Um, we, we share a boundary here with about 10 kilometres with the national parks, so we're very, very conscious of what, what happens. Oh, it's, it scares us, you know. And well, we, but, but you guys as farmers, you're actively managing that land it's an active management sort of program you manage the land to a get productivity out of it maintain biodiversity maintain ground cover etc etc but those conservation ones they're not necessarily actively managed in the same way it's a lot of what i've heard and this is all i've heard this is anecdotal a lot of it and you can probably confirm or deny it but a lot of it is just set and forget in a way yeah, that's right. And we oh, look, we get criticised as industry when we say, you know, you lock it up and walk away and that's where, where, where we get criticised, that terminology. But there is an element of that. And that's not to say as industry that we can always do better and we can manage our land better. And we've spoken a bit about that. But I, I fear that these days, again, we're, we're, we've got this overall notion, you know, um, 30% by 2030, we want to conserve more land. What is conservation land? What are we doing with the land that we're already conserving? Uh, and I fear that it's obviously trapped between a severe lack of funding and then um, this day and age of bureaucracy and liability that we're all bound up in. Um, you know, again, I bring it back to the national park that we border. If I had a if I had an email in, in June once every two or three years to say, hey, we're going to do a bit of bloody cool season burning in there, get your brakes up to speed, let it rip, good stuff. Because you know what? That's a lot more fun doing trying to keep fires out in June, July than it is in October, November, December when we're at risk of losing our whole livelihoods uh, due to something that we can't control. Um, but again, they're not funded, uh, and 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 there seems to be this overarching sort of fear of liability um, in terms of you know we're dealing with natural systems here, bushfires, fire control. There's, there's risk in every element of everything that we do, uh, but we put strategy around it, and we and we and we um, go in there, and we we hope for the best in an educated sense. So we've got to get more common sense around the, the discussion. And I see you know government recently sort of trumpeting the fact that they've invested in however many you know um, high capacity water bombing aircraft, and you think well. What about if we put those millions of bucks into 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 managing our conservation areas properly, so that we don't end up in these spaces where we've just got these absolute, you know, catastrophes that that not only decimate all of our conservation areas, but actually, you know, they're they're, li they're liable for other people's losses. And that's there's going to come a point there where that's I don't know how how we get common sense back in this argument, but people are they're ultimately ultimately our government agencies are going to be liable for for creating losses on on private land. Mm. Feels, I do feels like a bit of a downer to end on. I don't have to end there. Are we? <laughs> I, was just gonna... I was going to suggest you do a song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I We haven't actually we haven't actually sang the podcast for a long time, and that is our really? that's our task actually for next month during the. Christmas we have to. Break. Well, we have to. Is, when is we do new, new intro music. Yeah, when we do the two of us, the the song lyrics to that uh, is very dated. Very uh, we're gonna get we're gonna get cancelled uh, for those lyrics. <laughs> yeah, uh, for suggesting that sheep prices were strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you will get cancelled. Right, right. Well, Adam, you know, I think it's good to have you on. I like Bye -bye. we always like people on who have something to say. Which is good. Uh, you're you're very good. You had uh, no no preparation because we didn't give you any preparation. So that's always. I, I thought we were just doing good. a promo. I thought we were just doing a promo for the gig in Albury. I didn't realize we were actually doing a podcast. But anyway, that's yeah. good. well, that's we, 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 we did. Yeah. We had a bit of a promo in the middle there. That was kind of like a, a 
advertorial that people don't, didn't realise we were subliminally plugging. That's what people, they, come to all re- yeah. people yeah. don't realise that we're plugging black pudding every podcast, <laughs> Crocs footwear every podcast. The people haven't even realised yet. They haven't even cottoned on to it. We're just so good at it. Unbelievable. Marino, Pol- Marino Polos, that's another subliminal. We take uh-huh. a photo in our in our and Andrew was just saying he's got a new the new t shirt version. Oh, they're good. Not, yeah, they've just they're been good. sent to us. So natural fibers. To... Yeah. So you, you wouldn't you wouldn't realize it, Adam, but when, when you see us rock up on Friday, yep. you won't you'll you'll realize how much money you can pay for podcasts when we both rock <laughs> up in Ferraris. <laughs> You know, we haven't we haven't started we haven't started plugging Ferrari as our as our sponsor. No, it's, oh, it's not this, we're waiting for the electric Ferrari to come out because we're twenty twenty four. Because we uh, Crocs pay us and Black Pudding industry pays us so much money. Yeah. It's just yeah. keeps us. I'm in I'm in the wrong game. Clearly, yeah. there you go. You need to you need to start promoting that kind of stuff through Cattle Australia. Then you, you know that then, you, then that'll solve your funding issue as well. So you right. <laughs> well, now that you mentioned corporate. Sponsorship is a big part of our strategic reset. So, there so, you go. so how, uh, here's a question for you then. You just you just you just put a controversial one in there. I, I thought we were finished. No, no, it's all good. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, as the um, how as an organisation do you balance the interests of sponsors against the interests of farmers? Because sometimes they can be quite distinct. I guess. Well, I think that's that's uh, it's a very good point. It's certainly a, a conversation that we've we've had at board level, and we had as part of that strategic reset. And uh, I don't know that we need to overcomplicate it. We find sponsors who are who are aligned with with what we want to do and what our producers want. Um, let's let's say, let's say, for instance, you had a speaker, you're a sponsor, but they didn't like one of the speakers, and they said, "We want you to remove that speaker." What do you do then? Um, that probably that probably goes back to my um, original comment around not being afraid to have discussions in an open yeah. forum. And I don't, you know, I don't. Exactly. We're not always going to agree with each other. And um, yeah, maybe there's some blurred lines there when it comes to sponsorship. But um, I did I tell you that we have a pretty good value proposition being the largest agricultural commodity <laughs> in the country. So, yeah. <laughs> but it's well, a good it's a good question, Andrew. And I, I don't know that I really have the answer apart yeah. from doing your proper due, due, due diligence in who you choose to partner with. Yeah. That's, a good, that's as that's a, we do. That's a, as good an answer as any, I think. And and uh, we were you were right. We were wrapping up, so we've, we've t- taken plenty of your time already. I'm sure you got things to do, bearing down on on tea time and stuff. You probably got to go and cook the dinner or something for Jack. So um, I, I do, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. So so we'll um we'll let you go, mate. Thanks for coming on. It was the last minute notes. We'll look forward to seeing you in, in, uh, and and another crew. And it's, and it's a special podcast, the 199th. Oh, it is. Wow. Yeah. You're just just ahead of uh, a big um, celebration, man. Well, you, you're just after, uh, what's his name? Brad Hogg, elite mm-hmm. cricketer. Oh, mm-hmm. good. I called up with Brad Hogg the other day in the, in the Kimberley. He's a good fella. And, mm. uh, and yeah, we'll have, a, we'll have a special one for the 200 episodes. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Fantastic. Lots of, it's going to be a musical podcast singing all the way through. Yep. Car- karaoke. Yeah. Oh, I can't yeah. wait. Karaoke stuff. Yeah. That's a good there idea. Go. I'm going to cancel the other guest. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. No, thank right. you. We'll catch up with you uh, in in in, uh, in person in Albury on Friday, and um, see you when you got nothing on. Bloody thank you, Andrew. Looking forward to it.